Roads are bad, our future's sad, while Congress just gets rich. We are all as mad as hell, it's time to pitch a bitch. Bernie Sanders, oh please, please fight for me. Cause the country now is all screwed up, controlled by big money. The tax burden is on the poor, while the rich they hardly pay. The Congress now act for themselves, selling our rights away. Bernie Sanders, oh please, please fight for me. There's no one else talks sense like you in Washington, D.C. Lobby bribes the lawmakers, it's time to end that dance. With public funded elections, our future has a chance. Bernie Sanders, oh won't you fight for me. With pollution choking us to death, we pay oil subsidy. Bernie Sanders, oh please, please fight for me. And that was Song for Bernie Sanders for President 2016 by Anthony Farella, which you can find on YouTube by searching for Anthony Farella. And at the end of the program, we'll hear He's Our Man, Bernie Sanders by Rowdy Woods. Greetings and welcome back to Bernie 2016. This is an independent podcast established to follow and comment on Bernie Sanders' candidacy for President of the United States. This podcast is completely independent of any candidate, party, or PAC. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. If you want to see the prior podcasts I've released in this series, um, you can go to Bernie-2016.com. And find that and some other links to uh, information on Bernie as well. So uh, as I'm recording this, it is early in the day on Saturday, December 19th. And tonight is the Democratic debate. Um, conveniently located or conveniently uh, scheduled for a weekend one week before Christmas, the same weekend where there's a uh, major football game for people to watch, and the same weekend that Star Wars, the uh, enormously anticipated next uh, movie in the Star Wars saga, is released. So clearly, the DNC timed everything just right to get the maximum audience possible. Um you know, if you didn't didn't note the sarcasm there, um, it, it's pretty clear that the DNC, with its limited debate schedule and its uh, very careful timing of those debates, um, really appears to want to minimize the viewership of those debates. And the only realistic uh, benefit of that, as far as I can figure, is... With Hillary being so well known across the country, um, the fewer debates, the the better served Hillary is for maintaining her large lead um, in the polling towards the nomination. The fewer times that the public gets to see the competition, um, the less that the the public knows about the competition, the easier it will be for Hillary to uh, sail through and get nominated. Um, 
But I'll talk a lot more about the debate after it happens and uh, we see how it goes, how things work out, and what stands out from the debate. But there was a whole lot of stuff that went on this week that I wanted to discuss before I took a, a chunk of time to discuss whatever happens tonight at the debate. So a few really, really big things happened for Bernie this week. Most of them were really, really good, but one of them was not. And my fear is that one that was not is completely overshadowed all of the good news for Bernie this week. So uh, let's get into it. This story from Politico actually kind of sets the scene for how Bernie's week was going on Thursday. And this story is from Politico by Gabriel De Benedetti. Bernie Sanders was overdue for a day like Thursday. Flagging in national polls, stuck behind Hillary Clinton in Iowa, struggling to grab headlines and laboring under the perception that he refuses to talk about ISIS. The Vermont senator's campaign was stuck in an unmistakable rut heading into Saturday's Democratic debate. Then came Thursday. First, the campaign announced it had collected more than 2 million contributions, a sign of Sanders' popularity among small donors, raising $3 million since Monday alone. Then Sanders formally picked up his biggest labor endorsement, smiling alongside the leadership of the Communications Workers of America in Washington. At noon, the biggest news yet, million-member liberal group Democracy for America, founded by close Clinton ally and surrogate Howard Dean, was throwing its support behind Sanders in its first-ever presidential endorsement. So definitely saw three three big positives for Bernie Sanders um, in, in pretty quick succession. And uh, we'll look at each of those and some other news as well. This piece from The Atlantic by Claire Foran. Bernie Sanders won one of the most significant endorsements of his presidential campaign on Thursday when Communications Workers of America, the largest communications and media labor union in the country, announced its support of the Vermont Senator's White House bid. Sanders' growing support from big labor, however, poses challenges to a candidacy built around his independence from big money and special interests. National Nurses United and the American Postal Workers Union have previously backed the self-described Democratic Socialist. The CWA, which counts 700,000 members, is the largest union to stand in Sanders' corner so far. Larry Cohen, the union's former president, acts as a labor advisor to the Sanders campaign. Quote, we will use whatever we need to do every single thing we can to get Bernie Sanders elected to the presidency of the United States. So we will use our PAC money, Sheldon said, when asked how CWA planned to use its super PAC to support Sanders. Quote, if Bernie doesn't want to take it, okay, I respect that. So Bernie has um, very clearly stated that he would not operate a PAC. 
He would not raise money for a pack. He would not accept billionaire donations to a pack. He he does accept endorsements from unions, both the nurses union and CWA um, have packs and will likely be spending. The nurses union already has uh, this union will likely be spending money on Bernie's campaign or money in support of Bernie. It's independent expenditures. They're not coordinated by the campaign, but they are made to benefit the campaign. It's how all PACs are supposed to work, although many PACs that aren't tied to other pre-existing organizations have a tendency to work very, very closely in coordination with uh, campaigns. So big endorsement from a large labor union for Sanders, the Communications Workers of America. So uh, really, really positive step there, adding to just a huge groundswell of people. I mean, 700,000 members. And, and when the Communications Workers of America decided who it would endorse, it pulled those members and it took into account what the membership wanted and what the local unions wanted. Um, there's been uh, at least allegations that not all unions who have endorsed um, have spent enough time and effort talking to their members and figuring out what their members wanted. Um, some of the union endorsements seem to have come from the top and not from uh, polling or voting by the union members. And this next piece is from Huffington Post by Brian Hanley. Tonight, Bernie Sanders received the final dollars he needed to break a historic milestone. The senator officially hit 2 million individual campaign contributions, a feat that no other U.S. presidential candidate has achieved at this point in an election. To put that number in context, Barack Obama's historic 2008 campaign managed to break just 1 million contributions. Sanders literally has twice what Obama had. Not only that, but Sanders reached 2 million faster than President Obama reached 1. Even more impressive than the number of contributions is the average size of each. As of Wednesday evening, the average donation to Sanders was less than $30, which means millions of his supporters are chipping in rather small amounts. Now, of course, the goal for any candidate is to raise as much money as possible to endure the grueling two-year election. But Sanders cares more about the number of people contributing to his campaign than the amount they're willing to contribute. Since the start, Bernie Sanders has built his entire movement on the support of small donors. In fact, he's uniquely positioned among all other presidential challengers in that he refuses to accept money from super PACs and pledges to return their money if it accidentally finds him. The best part is Sanders walks the walk. When Martin Shkreli, who infamously jacked up the price of an AIDS medication, donated to the Sanders campaign, Sanders flat out rejected his money. However, rather than returning it to Shkreli, Sanders donated it its entirety to an HIV clinic. And on a side note, uh, Martin Shkreli was just 
arrested for uh not unfortunately not for what he's doing or what he did at his current company in regards to drug pricing but what he did at a prior company um i believe in regards to uh security and exchange laws and violating some of those laws so good news for bernie major major endorsement by a um major labor union and hitting 2 million individual donations and the 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 best part or one of the the best things about bernie sanders average donation being $30 is that almost everyone who's donated to the Bernie Sanders campaign so far could donate again. There is a cap on the amount that you can donate to a campaign in a primary election, and that's $2,700. A large number of Hillary Clinton's supporters have donated that full $2,700. So she can't go back to them again to donate directly to her campaign. She of course has super PACs that can, that they can donate unlimited amounts of money to. Um, but she can't get that directly for her campaign fund. Not that she's, uh, at a loss for donations. She's, um, earned a lot more or, um, raised a lot more in donations. She spent a lot more time, in, at fundraisers, some of which were minimum $2,700 to get in the door um, than Bernie has. Although the last cycle of fundraising, Bernie was only a couple million dollars behind the total that Hillary had collected. I mentioned that in a previous podcast. So some really, really good news for Bernie. And I'll get to the other piece of good news a little bit later. But all of this good news was overshadowed due to actions taken by members of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And this has just absolutely dominated the news of Bernie Sanders over the past couple days. And as I mentioned in, in the last episode... The corporate media really doesn't talk about Bernie all that much in comparison to the amount of people he's attracting, the amount of fundraising he's doing, um, the historic, you know, historic proportion of that. Um, But this particular incident seems to have gotten a lot of media attention and, uh, you know, Am I jaded or cynical? Is it because this particular issue put Bernie Sanders' campaign in a very negative light? That's why it got all the uh, all the press that it did. But um, the, these next few stories, we'll get into some of the details. And to be honest, this is still kind of an unfolding story. There's a lot of press and media based on what somebody, um, some anonymous person told the media or showed the media. So there's still details to come out about this, but I will uh, fill you in on what I know or what I, I might know. 
Uh, this particular piece, this is where I first saw anything about this issue, was this piece in The Guardian. And this was by Ben Jacobs. Less than 12 hours after Bernie Sanders received his biggest endorsement of the presidential campaign, the Democratic National Committee has cut off his access to the Democratic Party's all-important master voter file. The result is that his campaign is now unable to perform all the most basic aspects of voter contact, such as knocking on doors and making phone calls in any functional way. While the Sanders campaign can still talk to voters, it has no way of actually keeping track of their identity and whether they support the Vermont senator's candidacy. After NGP-VAN, the company that administers the DNC's voter file, updated its system on Wednesday. A glitch reportedly made some confidential data from Hillary Clinton's campaign briefly accessible to the Sanders campaign, and one campaign staffer was able to access that information. The staffer has since been fired. The glitch was first reported by the Washington Post. As a result of this temporary breach, the DNC has indefinitely cut off the Sanders campaign's access to the voter file, which functionally halts its field operation. The move by the DNC raises eyebrows as many Democrats, including Sanders and fellow presidential candidate Martin O'Malley, have long accused the DNC's chair, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, of attempting to rig the presidential process to benefit Clinton. In particular, they have raised questions about the relative paucity of debates, which have been scheduled for weekend evenings and to coincide with other events, such as major University of Iowa football game. The action by the DNC happens less than 48 hours before the third Democratic debate, which is scheduled for Saturday night, only a few days before Christmas, and at the same time as a nationally televised NFL game. The news also broke less than 12 hours after Sanders received his biggest labor endorsement yet from the Communication Workers of America, as well as the backing of the influential progressive activist group Democracy for America. However, national polls show Clinton with a steady lead of well over 20 percentage points over Sanders, and the Vermont senator has struggled to keep pace with Clinton in the key early caucus state of Iowa as well. In a statement, Michael Briggs, a spokesman for the Sanders campaign, told The Guardian the issue was the result of systematic of systemic failures by NGP Van. Quote, Sadly, the vendor who runs the DNC's voter file program continues to make serious errors, said Briggs. On more than one occasion, the vendor has dropped the firewall between the data of different Democratic campaigns. Our campaign months ago alerted the DNC, to the fact that campaign data was being made available to other campaigns. At that time, our campaign did not run to the media, relying instead on assurances from the vendor. He added of Wednesday's incident, quote, Unfortunately, yesterday the vendor once again dropped the firewall between the campaigns for some data. After discussion with the DNC, it became clear that one of our staffers accessed some modeling data from another campaign. That behavior is unacceptable, and that staffer was immediately fired. We are as interested as anyone in making sure that the software flaws are corrected, since mistakes by the DNC's vendor also have made our records vulnerable. We are working with the DNC and the vendor and hope that this kind of lapse will not occur again. 
And so that's a little bit of the start of the story of what happened. And as far as the vendor goes, um, you know, I, I work on a software system, so I have some experience with the types of upgrades that happen that can lead to issues that this did. But with the sensitivity of the data that this company is charged with storing and charged with keeping safe, I think their methods are are completely faulty. They should have completely separate servers for any data that is unique to any particular campaign with no access, no possible access from the other campaign. I mean, there are ways that this can be set up to keep to to have completely prevented this from being able to have happened. Um, so I think there is a lot of responsibility on the part of the vendor that is storing the DNC's data and the DNC for choosing and keeping that vendor and accepting the methods that they are using to store it. So there's there's for the aspect that the data was made available for another campaign to be able to see that lies squarely responsibility on the DNC and on the vendor. They should have prevented that from the start. Um, one thing I did see from one source was that, uh, and, and I don't know if this is hundred percent verified, but it seemed to be legitimate. Um, not not really surprising, but um, was was a revelation. Someone posted that uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz's nephew is a vice president at uh, that particular vendor. What was it called again? NGP Van, um, which might explain why that is the vendor that the DNC has selected. Um, but this next piece is from 538, and this is by Claire Malone. 538 is is really well known for um, analyzing polling and coming out with some some pretty good analysis of the polling that's that that is out there. So they have a pretty good um, connection with what goes on with the data. Um, that uh, that the campaigns use. In New York, they say money is power. In Washington, it's who you know. If you're running for president, it's who you're hoping to get to know that matters. A multi-million dollar industry has sprung up around collecting information on potential voters. That's how candidates know where to send chummy hello friend emails and whose dinner hours to interrupt with a knock on the door or a phone call. Voter files are the informational blueprints that campaigns use to build their coalitions. The massive voter file collected by the Democratic National Committee and managed by the independent firm NGP Van is basically the informational teat from which all successful modern Democratic campaigns must suckle. So when the Democratic National Committee announced on Friday that it had barred the Bernie Sanders campaign, at least temporarily, from accessing its voter file, 
all hell broke loose in the political data universe. The fracas began on Wednesday morning with the crash of a software firewall that is supposed to prevent campaigns from seeing the voter data compiled by rival candidates. All the Democratic presidential campaigns have access to the DNC data and can then add their own information and analysis to the database. The crash allowed members of Sanders' staff to view proprietary voter lists of the Hillary, of the Hillary Clinton campaign, including, according to news reports, on Friday, information on the voters less inclined to support the former Secretary of State in the critical early states of Iowa and New Hampshire. To punish the Sanders campaign for the breach, the DNC said the campaign could not have access to the party's voter data. The Sanders campaign fired a staffer involved in viewing the Clinton data, but said the punishment from the DNC was unwarranted. What exactly does this deprivation of information access mean for the day-to-day -day operation of the Sanders campaign? A former Obama campaign data operative I talked to called it, quote, a pretty devastating loss, and others in the political data world said much the same. The DNC files are filled with public information. No private information, a la credit card company hacks, would have been compromised here. That's been gathered from a variety of secretaries of state offices around the country. Those files contain names, addresses, elections voted in, and in some states, date of birth and gender. Without access to these files, the Sanders campaign's ability to canvass voters in a targeted manner, go to this house but not that one, is lost, as are its capabilities to create a tailor-made phone list to contact voters who are more likely to, quote, feel the burn, it basically means Sanders staffers have to campaign like it's 1999. In this case, being old school is nothing to brag about. Mark Kleber, a former developer at NGP Van who also worked as a data director for John Edwards' New Hampshire operation in 2008, said the campaign was dealing with a, quote, pretty significant loss, though he said that it's possible the Sanders organization could work around the problem in the short term. Quote, there might be lists of people to call that are still fresh, Kleber said, noting the campaign could have saved or printed lists outside of the NGP van system. But the long-term effects are alarming enough that the Sanders campaign filed a lawsuit in federal court on Friday seeking to regain access to the DNC's voter file, saying that the committee was, quote, attempting to undermine its campaign and the, the organization, quote, continues to hold our data hostage. Quote, plaintiff is sustaining irreparable injury and financial losses, according to the Sanders campaign complaint, that are incapable of precise calculation, but exceeded $600,000 per day. The R data phrasing by the Sanders team might seem antithetical to the idea that campaigns essentially rent the DNC's list for their purposes, but there are a couple of categories of data the Sanders team would be dealing with in the NGP van system. The Big Kahuna, the voter file that the firm has had a contract to manage since 2007, is the property of the DNC. Campaigns gather information from voters that serve to enrich this file. Who a caller says they'll vote for or whether a landline number is dead and are seen as valuable tidbits. And they agree to update the system after the campaign so that future candidates can use it. 
But what probably angers Sanders and his people the most is being locked out of information they've collected on potential Sanders volunteers. If a person whose door is knocked on says they'd like to volunteer for the campaign, that's quite a boon. And the campaign would store that information away in the system. When staffers were locked out of the NGP van system, they would have lost access to these files, Claybor said. As for the breach itself, he said any developer expects bugs to happen, but said that he has never seen one like this. Quote, in my almost seven years there, he said, this kind of thing didn't happen. And this next piece on the same story is from Business Insider. And this is by Brian Logan. The presidential campaign of Senator Bernie Sanders earned a late victory Friday night as it was announced his campaign would regain access to voter information Saturday morning. In a statement, the Sanders campaign said the Democratic National Committee, quote, capitulated in the face of a lawsuit the campaign had filed hours earlier. Quote, we are extremely pleased that the DNC has reversed its outrageous decision to take Senator Sanders' data. The information we provided tonight is essential is essentially the same information we already sent them by email on Thursday, said Jeff Weaver, Sanders' campaign manager, in a statement. The about-face came after Sanders' campaign took the virtually unprecedented step of filing a lawsuit against the DNC for cutting off its access to the voter file. Based on accusations, his campaign improperly accessed data compiled by the campaign of rival Hillary Clinton. Sanders' campaign subsequently accused the party of trying to undermine him in the fight for the Democratic presidential nomination, a race in which Sanders is, all, is most closely positioned to challenge Clinton, the clear frontrunner. Quote, by their action, the leadership of the Democratic National Committee is now actively attempting to undermine our campaign. This is unacceptable, Weaver said in an earlier hastily scheduled press conference. Quote, individual leaders of the DNC can support Hillary Clinton in any way they want, but they are not going to sabotage our campaign, one of the strongest grassroots campaigns in modern history. We are announcing today that if the DNC continues to hold our data hostage and continues to try to attack the heart and soul of our grassroots campaign, we will be in federal court this afternoon seeking immediate relief. So that quote was from the prior day before the Sanders campaign and the DNC came to an agreement on the data and on access to the data, which reinstated Sanders' access to the data. In a statement early Saturday morning, DNC Chair and Rep. Debbie Wasserman Schultz said, quote, The Sanders campaign has now complied with the DNC's request to provide the information that we have requested of them. Based on this information, we are restoring the Sanders campaign's access to the voter file, but will continue to investigate to ensure that the data that was inappropriately accessed has been deleted and is no longer in possession of the Sanders campaign. Quote, the Sanders campaign has agreed to fully cooperate with the con continuing DNC investigation of this breach, she continued. The fact that the data was accessed inappropriately is completely unacceptable, and the DNC expects each campaign to operate with integrity going forward with respect to the voter file. So, one last piece on this story from ABC News. A campaign spokesman for Bernie Sanders said that the voter data 
access issue has been resolved after Democratic National Committee had earlier blocked the campaign's access to the data. Michael Briggs of the Sanders campaign told ABC News Friday, it's resolved. DNC capitulated. We will get to see voter files by early Saturday morning. And that was later confirmed by the Democratic National Committee. So the investigation of the what happened to some of that data is still ongoing. Um, I've seen a lot of bits and pieces and elements, and I don't really know exactly which are factual and which are close and which are not. Uh, there's certainly been spin on both sides of the story. Um, the Sanders campaign has definitely played played its best hand to the media around the story, which, you know, for any campaign would be minimize the uh, negative aspects of the story as far as how the campaign behaved and maximize the threat from the outside. Um, I, I, th- I think that they could have taken a little bit softer touch. My fear, my fear is that this story, when it's coming out and how it's coming out and how loudly the corporate media seems to be comfortable in, uh, in discussing it, um, will turn some people off who hadn't decided yet on whether to go for, for Hillary Clinton or whether to go for Bernie Sanders or whether to go for somebody else. Um, so I think that there there could have been a little bit more humility on the can on the Sanders side. I think how they acted after after the fact was appropriate. I think some of the language they used and their tone may have been a little a little too sharp for my liking, but I'm not running the Sanders campaign. None of this has has given me any any pause or any any thought of uh, lessening my support for Bernie Sanders. Um, what definitely did happen, and, and the Sanders campaign acknowledged it, and that's why they fired their staffer, was their staffer did determine that that firewall was not in place. And when the staffer determined that, the staffer did access data that was proprietary Hillary Clinton um, campaign data. On top of that, it appears that additional um, user usernames or additional logins were created at that time. Whether those were done by the same staffer or done by others is not clear to me. It's probably clear to somebody. Um, Based on information I saw that may or may not be accurate, um, but based on what other news organizations have reported, um, the Sanders campaign did more than 20 searches of data 
and saved some files that it searched, that it that it found, that were proprietary Clinton data files. That is, in my view, and in Bernie Sanders' uh, campaign's view, absolutely unacceptable. Um, they terminated that employee right away. And I think that that is to the benefit of the Sanders campaign, you know, the, the, but the whole fact that this happened at all is it's a ding against Sanders. It's a ding against the integrity of the campaign. And I don't think it's necessarily a ding against his personal integrity, but it's his campaign and he manages it and he hires the people that manage it. And the fact that someone in his campaign did something negative is going to reflect on his campaign, you know, bottom line, there's, there's no way around that. Um, the fact that he reacted quickly to it, that he is fully, fully cooperating with further investigations into what happened and, and does that data still exist? And is it still in the possession of his campaign? All of that is on the plus side, but the, the bottom line that it happened at all is just a big negative. It took away from all the positive press that the other stories had begun to generate um, starting midweek. Um, Sanders should have been going into tonight's uh, debate on a high, you know, on coming coming off of um, support after support of different organizations, coming off of two million uh Two million campaign contributions to his campaign more than any other campaign ever at this stage in, in a campaign. Um, those things should have been setting the tone for Sanders in this debate. But now this this issue is setting the tone completely like the other things all are still big positives. They all still are going to positively impact Sanders campaign. They show the strength of Sanders campaign, but they are not going to have the impact they would have had if this didn't happen. So uh, I, I'm angry at the the people who made the choice to look at that data that they should have known very well that they weren't entitled to to view um, and and save some of that data. I think that it's uh, it's potentially tremendously harmful to to Bernie's campaign, and I'm sure more information, more clarity around exactly what happened uh, will come out and any other significant news along those lines I will definitely cover here. But on to, um, so one of the big things that happened that I didn't talk a lot about but did mention earlier on was um, the group Democracy for America backed Senator Bernie Sanders. And just trying to see if I see a source for this article here. Um, this is from the Huffington Post. So if you're following any of the Democratic campaigns very closely, you've probably seen ads and emails to vote. Um, vote in the Demo- Democracy for America online poll. So um, they had a poll. They had a public poll. All of the candidates, uh, Martin O'Malley, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, reached out to their supporters and reached out to the, the Democracy for America's members 
and asked for their support. I know this because I voted somewhat early in the, the online poll in which I provided my email and I thereafter each day got a letter from Bernie, got a letter from Martin O'Malley, got a letter from Hillary Clinton. Please support me in this poll. So here's a story from Huffington Post. The progressive political advocacy group Democracy for America backed Senator Bernie Sanders' Democratic presidential bid on Thursday in the organization's first presidential primary endorsement since former Vermont Governor Howard Dean founded it in 2004. Sanders earned the endorsement after receiving 87.9% of the 271,527 votes cast by DFA members nationwide over a nine-day voting period. No Democratic candidate was able to clear no, if no Democratic candidate was able to clear the 66.7% supermajority needed, the DFA would not have endorsed. And in fact, in 2008, no candidate was able to get over 66.7%, and the DFA did not endorse a candidate in 2008. Quote, Bernie Sanders is an unyielding populist progressive who decisively won Democracy for America members' first presidential primary endorsement because of his lifelong commitment to taking on income inequality and the wealthy and powerful interests who are responsible for it, Charles Chamberlain, the group's executive director, said in a statement. Quote, Throughout his campaign, Bernie has repeatedly said that the huge problems of income inequality, money in politics, and structural racism that our country must confront are bigger than a single campaign. They need a political revolution. The group, which claims one million members, says it has, quote, knocked on hundreds of thousands of doors, made over 11 million phone calls, and raised and contributed more than 32.7 million to help elect 843 progressive candidates nationwide since its founding. It said it would run a positive campaign on Sanders' behalf rather than attack his rivals for the nomination. DFA's tireless focus on bringing people together through grassroots organizing is the best way we can fight back against the billionaires and oligarchs who have rigged our economy, Sanders said in a statement. I also want to congratulate DFA for its principled support for grassroots democracy and for its internal democratic process. It is no secret that the founder of DFA, my friend and fellow Vermonter from former Governor Howard Dean, has chosen not to support my candidacy. Yet the leadership of the DFA allowed a fair and free vote to take place, which we won. That's pretty impressive. All three of the Democratic candidates sent pitches to DFA's members asking for their vote before the announcement. Notably, Hillary Clinton's email to DFA's list was sent from her and Dean, who endorsed her last year. So Bernie won an overwhelming amount of support from the DFA. Even though the founder of the DFA, Howard Dean, endorsed Hillary Clinton and sent a letter, which was part of Hillary Clinton's letter, which I received, um, to ask for support from, for DFA, from DFA members for voting for Hillary Clinton in this poll. Despite that effort, Hillary only got 10% support in this poll. Um, because of the outreach that the, the, 
DFA did for this poll and they they increased their membership for it. I I signed up in order to vote for this poll and a lot of people did. But those numbers were not overwhelming. Those numbers those numbers were more supportive of Sanders than the original members before before the push started for this vote. However, if you exclude all of the new members that joined, probably joined mostly to be able to vote in this poll, just looking at the membership that existed before the polling started, uh, before the polling was announced, Bernie Sanders won 77% of those individuals, of those members of this organization. So even if no one else had joined, no one else had participated in this because they wanted to support Sanders or because they wanted to support somebody else. Um, Bernie Sanders still got the overwhelming support from, from the organization. So, because a lot of Bernie Sanders has wins a lot of uh, online polls, the time magazine person of the year polls, one of those, but also won like all the online polls after the last democratic debate of who won the debate. Um, and a lot of people dismissed all those polls, said, well, Bernie Sanders has a very, very large uh, support structure online, so they can mobilize and they can kind of overwhelm the polls, and they're not realistic results. Um, in in that last debate, there were three groups, three focus groups that some of the uh, media had put on, which were groups of people in a room. And those three groups also agreed that Bernie Sanders had won. However, actual statistical polling that was done later on um, favored Hillary Clinton more than it favored Bernie Sanders. So polling is what it is. It can be skewed. Um, Online polling is rarely scientific, rarely as balanced as official polling tries to be, but all polling has biases. Um, And lastly, the Fed increased interest rates for the first time since 2006. And uh, Bernie had a response to that. This last piece is from Business Insider. This is by Maxwell Tani. U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders slammed the Federal Reserve's decision on Wednesday to raise interest rates. Sanders released a statement after the Fed announced on Wednesday that it would raise rates for the first time since 2006, saying that the decision would stunt economic growth and hurt families who still have not entirely recovered from the effects of the recession. Quote, when millions of Americans are working longer hours for lower wages, the Federal Reserve's decision to raise interest rates is bad news for working families, Sanders said in a statement. He continued, at a time when real unemployment is nearly 10% and youth unemployment is off the charts, we need to do everything possible to create millions of good-paying jobs and raise the wages of the American people. The Fed should act with the same sense of urgency to rebuild the disappearing middle class as it did to bail out Wall Street banks seven years ago. On Tuesday, the Federal Open Market Committee announced that it would raise its short-term lending rate from a historic era of near-zero interest rates to the target range of the federal funds rate by 25 basis points. The decision was unanimous. 
The bank has kept interest rates low in order to spur economic growth following the worst economic recession since the Great Depression. But as the U.S. economy has steadily improved, many economists have become concerned that the Fed's decision to keep rates low could lead to inflation. For his part, Sanders has been vocal about his opposition to raising interest rates and skepticism about how the Fed is run. Sanders has repeatedly called for an audit of the Federal Reserve, and he supports removing some financial industry leaders from the Fed's governing board. So that will wrap up uh, this episode of Bernie 2016. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com or follow on Twitter at BernieUS2016. You can find out more about Bernie 2016 at Bernie-2016.com. And as we go out, we will hear He's Our Man, Bernie Sanders by Rowdy Woods. You can find that on the Rowdy Woods YouTube page. Thanks for listening. Oh, have you heard of Bernie Sanders? He's a good man, bad man, hey. If you don't like Bernie Sanders, well, I'm here to set you Pay a living wage, not just ideals, he does what he says. He'll get our bread back in our hands, he'll give the farmers back to the land. Oh, Bernie Sanders, help save our kids, get us jobs, fixing up this bitch. Good Lord, protect us as we cross this bridge. Good education makes a poor man rich. Oh, Bernie Sanders, he's our man. Gonna save our brother's land. He'll fix the banks on a bed and